This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was studying for this parable is, you ever notice how people kind of see what they want to see? You know, people kind of, they, they, they see what they expect to see and they don't see what they don't want to see. You know, we have, this, we have this response, we have this ability to kind of put blinders on and only see the things we want to see or only hear the things we want to hear. It's really common. It's, it's, it, we look at the, throughout society now, especially today, and we see this all, all over the place. And, and, you know, and trust me, this is not a political statement, but, you know, for example, uh, People today, we've got this phrase, you know, fake news. And, and basically, the definition of fake news has become anything, any news report of something that I disagree with. <laughs> if I disagree, and it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, everybody does it. If I, dis- if I don't like it, then it's fake. And if I like it, it's real. Because that's just the way we are as people. We tend to, we tend to, to see what we're conditioned to see. And, and a lot of this is based on our upbringing and our, our, our influences, the people that we hang around with. You know, our, our views are molded and shaped by things that we're not always aware of. And then those views kind of control what we see and what we want to listen to. Uh, you know, and that's why... Um, Politicians, and again, of every stripe, uh, you know, tend to use uh, fear and emotions uh, to communicate rather than ideas is because, um, I don't know if you know this, uh, but this is, this is just the way the brain works. The more emotional you get, the more your logic turns off. Different parts of the brain are working and they can't work together. So the more emotional you get, the more your logic turns off. And so that's why people, politicians and, or anybody who's trying to uh, manipulate people tends to use emotion more than reasoning is because the more emotional you get, the more you stop thinking about what they're saying and you just go, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's just the way it is. And, and it's, it's sad, but it's true. And, and the thing is, it's not just culture and society. It's life. It's, it's who we are. You know, we're conditioned as people to see what we want to see, not just in the world around us, but in ourselves. Lori and I were listening to a podcast when we were on vacation last week, and, and um, uh, one of the podcasts we listened to uh, just really struck us both because the, the, the guy who was talking was saying that you are statements said to a child become I am statements as an adult. Now, let that soak in for a second because it's really true. You know, if you say, oh, you're such a bad boy to a kid, as they grow older, it's going to be, I'm a bad boy. But if you say, you're such a great kid, then that kid's going to grow up to say, I'm a great kid. And, and the reality is, is by the time we're adults, we don't even realize this stuff happened. But it still controls the way we see ourselves and the way we think about ourselves. Because we're conditioned to see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear and ignore everything else. And the same thing is true when we look at Scripture. We can be conditioned to see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear. You know, one theologian I read said that, you know, your, your perspective on who God is and what Scripture says is more a reflection of your character 
than it is Scripture itself because we're human beings and we see what we want to see and we hear what we want to hear. And that's the trouble when we, when we come to Scripture and particularly the, the parables of Jesus, we have to be very careful to take a, try to take a step back and see with a pr- fresh perspective and make sure we're not being influenced by the blinders that have been put on us. So this morning we're going to look at a parable in Luke chapter 16. If you've, got, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got an app, you can use it. It'll be up on the screens too, but let's pray and then we'll get into it. God, we thank you for that time of worship that we enjoyed to just spend in your presence, to lift our voices together as one, to praise you and to, and to worship you. God, it's such a, a precious thing to spend time in your presence with, with other believers, and we thank you for that. God, I pray as we look into your word this morning that you'll give me uh, clarity of thought and communication. You'll give us all ears to hear what, you, what your word says to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 16 is where we're at. This is the parable. It's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, it's about 12 verses. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. Uh, Just hang in there. It's not that bad. But it says, there was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. Now, I'll stop right there for a second. Because a lot of you are like, oh, the dogs are taking care of him. Now, in in the first century, dogs were considered scavengers. They weren't pets. They were dirty scavengers. In fact, to to, to think about this in in our modern uh, terms... Change dogs to rats, because that's the way they were perceived in Jesus' day, for, for Jewish people particularly. Um, this, this was not a, oh, puppies. No, this was, ugh, rats? Are you kidding me? Um, just, just, ugh, not good. So, and I'll also highlight this, too, before we move on. This is the only parable of Jesus where the characters have names, it's the only parable of Jesus where Jesus gives the parable, the, the characters in the parable, names. And there's a reason for that we'll get to later, but I'll leave that as a teaser for now. All right, so we'll move on. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he, took, uh, uh, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being comforted and you are in great pain. Moreover, there's a great crevice. Uh, A great crevice has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. 
Powerful story. That's, that's, that's some heavy stuff there. There's a lot of unique characteristics to this parable, but, but our, our job when we're looking at parables is, is to first ask what it's all about. And Chris last week kind of talked about this a lot, and, and it, was, it was great. I was listening to his podcast on the way home from Cleveland. It was great. But Chris talked about how the idea, the parables have one idea, one thing that they're about, not, not five things. There's generally one thing that the parable is about. And our job is to figure out what that one thing is. And what, how we do that is to look at the context. Who was Jesus talking to? Why was he talking to? Was he responding to something that was going on? What was he trying to communicate with the parable? Now, this parable, in my experience, and it was funny, I was talking to Chris beforehand, and he said, I've never heard a sermon preached on the rich man and Lazarus before. I said, Really? Because growing up, this was a favorite. When I was growing up in the church, this was a favorite parable because you got heaven and hell, you got flames, you got, you, got all, you got all the good stuff. Because, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about heaven and hell. You know, it was about which place are you going to go? Are you going to go to heaven? Are you going to go to hell? And you don't want to be, you want to burn. And so this was the parable. This was a favorite parable. And those of you who grew up in the church, you've heard sermons like that, right? I'm not the only one. I know a few of you have heard those, okay. This parable was often, often used growing up, used to talk about heaven and hell. And, and the thing is, one of the things that I find always so interesting is that even though, at least when I was growing up, heaven and hell was like the favorite topic for preachers to preach about, when you look at scripture, it wasn't a favorite topic of Jesus or his apostles, or the apostles, or Paul, or... As much as people talk, like to talk about it, Jesus didn't really talk about heaven and hell that much. This is the only parable where Jesus even talks about the afterlife at all. And, and if you look in the book of Acts and some of the other places in the New Testament, none of the sermons that the early apostles preached ever talked about heaven and hell at all. It wasn't really a, an important topic for them. But it has been in recent years for, for, for many preachers. But in my opinion, there are some clues in this parable that hint to us that that's not really what this parable is about. You know, first of all, Jesus doesn't say anywhere in this story that Lazarus is being rewarded for his faith or that the rich man is being punished. Jesus simply says, Lazarus had a sucky life, and now he's enjoying this. And you had a great life, and now you're experiencing that. He never says that the rich man is being punished. He never says that Lazarus is being rewarded for his great faith. He simply says, this is how it is. And one of the things that we have to understand, too, is Jesus, and this gets back to uh, intricacies in the language, but Jesus, when he talks about hell, particularly, in the scriptures, has two different words that he'll use when he talks about what happens after death. One is Gehenna, and that's the term that he uses the most when he's talking about what happens to those who are, are wicked uh, after death. And then there's another word, Hades. Now, Hades is another Greek word that refers to the afterlife, what happens after death. But this is an interesting distinction that Jesus uses one over the other. Because whenever Jesus talks about Gehenna, he talks about it as a place of punishment. Hades is a broader term. 
You see, Jews in Jesus' time thought about the afterlife very differently than we do now. Very differently. Jews in Jesus' day, well, some Jews in Jesus' day didn't even think there was an afterlife. That's who the Sadducees, if you hear see the Bible talk about Sadducees, they didn't even believe that there was an afterlife. But the Jews of Jesus' day that believed in the afterlife believed that everyone went to Hades, or Sheol as they would call it in the Hebrew. Everybody, didn't matter who you were, everybody went to the grave. That's really literally what the word means, is the grave. Hades is the grave. And so everybody would go there, and they would all wait for God to come back and restore Israel. So this is Hades, the term Hades was more like a holding tank, waiting for the final day. Uh, that was the perspective. But the real indicator here of what this parable is about is once again, as Chris talked about last week, it's context. So let's skip, ahead, skip forward, or back, I guess, a few verses in Luke chapter 16. What was going on? What was the conversation that Jesus was having, having before he told this parable? Well, we find it in Luke 16, verses 14 and 15. It says, the Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all this and sneered at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves before other people, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued by people is deeply offensive to God. There's the context. This is what Jesus is responding to when he tells this story of the rich man and Lazarus. So how does the story of the rich man and Lazarus fit into that context? The, the, he's talking about the Pharisees and he's saying, man, you're, you just love money. You don't love people. You just love money. You just want people to like you. You just want, you just want keep up appearances. You want people to look at you and respect you and all that sort of stuff. But you don't really love people. You just love things. You just love money, possessions. And see, that's the thing. In Jesus' day, people would have looked at the rich man and Lazarus and said, well, that rich man is blessed by God. Look at all he has. He's blessed. God loves him. Look at all he has. And Lazarus, oh, he must have done something. He must have done something or his parents did something. But somebody did something for him to experience all this terrible thing in life. He's, he's, God's, God's, God doesn't like him very much. But the rich man, God loves him. That's what the perspective would have been in that day. And Jesus takes that perspective and completely turns it on its head. Because here's the other thing you need to understand about ancient Jews. The Jews that Jesus was talking to would have considered both Abraham and the rich man to be saved, as we call it, or in part of God's family, part of Israel. You see, and this, this is another one of those myths you may have heard many times. How many of you have heard, all oh, the Jews believed that they obeyed the law, and that's what got them into heaven. They obeyed the law by doing good works, and, and, and we don't believe that anymore. We believe that faith saves you, right? It's not true. The Jews didn't believe they got into heaven or got into God's good graces by doing good works. They believed they were part of God's kingdom because they were children of Abraham. 
because they were Jews. They, the Jews, the children of Abraham, were God's chosen people. And so anybody who was a Jew was chosen by God, and they were accepted, and they were, loved, they were, they were part of God's family. They were good with God because they were children of Abraham. Now, they still were interested in obeying the law, and that was important to them. But that wasn't the source of their salvation. The source of their salvation was Abraham. And that's why Jesus uses that phrase. He says, Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. He's highlighting that idea. You see, notice there, he didn't say Lazarus is in heaven. Jesus didn't use the word heaven. He said he's in the bosom of Abraham. There's a, there's a, there's a key there. You see, salvation to a Jew meant genetics. It meant my DNA traces itself all the way back to Abraham, and therefore, I'm good with God. I'm okay. And this is one of the, the key themes of the Gospel of Luke and all of Paul's teachings, really. Because Luke, by the way, was, Paul was Luke's mentor. They were traveling buddies. Luke was one of Paul's uh, uh, disciples, basically, in the early days of Paul's ministry. So Luke and Paul have a very similar perspective. And, and their perspective was this. It's not about who your parents were. And Jesus taught this too. It's not about who your parents are. It's not about whether you can trace your lineage back to Abraham. It's not about that. It's about who you love, who you're loyal to. It's about your, your faith as we talk about it today. Your allegiance even going back to John the Baptist, we see this taught. Luke chapter 3, we see John the Baptist saying this. He says, produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. See, even going back to John the Baptist, he's sitting there preaching going, listen, it's not about who your father is. It's not about, well, my family was, has always been Christian, so I'm, I'm part of the family. He says, no, it's about your changed hearts and your changed lives. That's what it's about. So let's get back to that question. Why are there proper names in this parable for the first time and the only time in the Gospels? Why did Jesus choose to give Lazarus a name? Why is Abraham mentioned in this parable? Well, think about it. The rich man and Lazarus both go to the grave. The rich man is sitting there suffering, and he looks up and he says, Father Abraham, hey, I see Lazarus next to you. Send Lazarus over to help me. See, Lazarus wasn't just some random dude on a corner. The rich man knew him. The rich man knew him well enough to know his name. This wasn't just some random dude that, that they both died and went to. No, this was somebody that they had a relationship with each other. The rich man knew who Lazarus was, they were friends. They were acquaintances. They knew each other's names. Puts a little bit different spin on the story, doesn't it? Lazarus is not just some beggar on the street that the rich man happened to pass. No, he was somebody he knew. Somebody who lived right there with him. Shared lives with him. And the rich man hadn't done anything for him. 
The rich man hadn't helped him at all. The rich man ignored him. The rich man lived with blinders on and walked past him every day and knew his name and yet ignored him. Ignored his pain, ignored his, his struggles, ignored his, his situation and just kept walking. Hey, Lazarus, how are you, man? Call him back the next day. Hey, Lazarus, good to see you, man. Hey, Lazarus, nice, hey, beautiful weather we're having, isn't it? He lived his entire life and knew this guy and yet never cared enough to reach out and say, man, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? How can I help you? And here's the real kicker. Lazarus, that name, you know what that name means if you translate it? The word Lazarus in Hebrew means God helps. Lazarus literally means God helps. What's the message of this parable? God cares about those in need. God helps those in need. And if you want to be part of God's family, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, so do you. So do you. That's the message of this parable. That's what Jesus is trying to tell these Pharisees. Listen, Pharisees, you love money and you care about all these things and you want people to respect you, but you don't love people. You don't care about people. You don't take care of people. You let them, you just put your blinders on and walk away with your life. You don't care. And therefore, it doesn't matter who your father is. It doesn't matter if you're a child of Abraham. You're not part of my crew. You're not part of my family because my family helps those in need. God helps. God helps. And this is the consistent theme of the New Testament. If you read the New Testament and you don't see this, that it's all about caring for people, then you missed it. Because the teachings of Jesus are all about it. What does Jesus do? He goes through the land healing people and feeding them and caring for them. That was most of what Jesus did is he went from town to town healing people and giving them food, caring for their needs, comforting people, setting them free from oppression. That's what Jesus did. And then you go to the New Testament, you go to the book of Acts, or you go to the letters of Paul, and what do you see? Their main priority was to care for those who were sick, care for those who were who are in need, care for widows, care for orphans, care for those who are oppressed, to lift them up. That's the whole message of the New Testament. It's the whole message. One of the scholars I read in preparing for this, his name is Klein Snodgrass, which is a very interesting name. I, I want to ask him where he got that name. <laughs> but he said it this way. He said, any gospel that is not good news to the poor is not the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, that's heavy, right? But it's true. Any gospel that is not good news to the poor is not the gospel of Jesus. Because you cannot read the New Testament and not hear the cry of Jesus' heart for the poor, for the needy, for the oppressed, for the sick, for the hungry. That's his heart, and that should be our heart. That's the message of this parable. It's not about heaven and hell. That's secondary. 
That's just the context that Jesus was using to highlight what it was that makes you a child of God. What makes you a child of God is your heart. It's about who you love. First and foremost, God, and then everybody else. We've talked about that time and time again. Sam just talked about it a few weeks ago. Love God, that's your first. That's first and foremost. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the next one. And those two things, that is the message. That's Jesus' message. That's the message of this parable. But unfortunately, in our society, we're conditioned to live with blinders on. We're conditioned to see only what we want to see. We're conditioned to ignore the things that we don't like. We're conditioned to walk through life with the blinders on like the, like the Pharisees are. We don't want to see that. We just want to see what's happy, what's normal, what's, what's in our experience. We walk around with, with tunnel vision. Folks, we can't afford to be tempted by the, by the memes of this society that we live in, you know, one of those phrases, and I hear it all the time uh, from people that are more my age, unfortunately. But people talk about, talk about well, you know, people that, are, people that are poor just need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps like I did. You've heard that, right? You've heard that whole phrase? It's such a stupid phrase. I'm wearing boots. Here, here's my bootstrap. Let me see if I can pull myself up by my own bootstrap. The phrase, pull yourself off by your own bootstraps, was originally invented, was originally crafted to show how impossible it is that no one can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. That if you've got something, it's because you were part of a community that helped you. You were part of an environment that helped you. No one pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. And now we've turned it around and we said, oh, I've pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. And people that are poor need to just work harder and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way because we're all part of a community. We're all part of a system, an interlocking community of people. The question is, are we choosing to live with blinders on and ignoring those around us who need our help? I got mine. Or are we opening up our eyes to see those around us who are in need? And don't misunderstand this because some of you who were here last week might go, Excuse me. They go, well, this is kind of contradicting what Chris said. Chris said, we don't need to do anything to earn God's love. God just loves us. Well, no, that's true. That's absolutely true. And I wouldn't do anything to contradict that. Because this is not about earning God's love by doing good deeds, by taking care of the poor. It's not about earning anything. It's not about performing for God. It's a reflection of the state of our heart. It's an evidence to us that God has transformed us. If we do these things, then we know that God is at work in our hearts. If we're not doing these things, then we better get back on our knees with God and say, God, I missed something. God, show me love. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 16, he says, This is how love has been perfected in us so that we can have confidence on the judgment day because we are exactly the same as God in this, uh, is in this world. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, he's a liar. Because a person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen 
can't love God who can't be seen. He said, listen, we're not earning our salvation. We're not earning God's love. But what we do for others, how we love others, is the evidence that God is at work in our hearts. It's the evidence. And folks, I got to tell you, opportunities to love people are all around us. They're all around us. All we have to do is look for them. We have to take the blinders off and look. And when we look, we'll see, because as human beings, we see what we want to see. We see what we want to see. The question is, what do you want to see? Do you want to see people in need? Do you want to see people who are oppressed? Do you want to see people who need your help? Because most people don't. They want to walk through life with blinders on. I don't want to see people who need me, because then I might feel obligated to help them. That's how most people live. We got to take our blinders off and say, where are the people who need me? Where are the people who are, in, who are oppressed, who are being beaten down, who are being <clears throat> misused, mistreated, who are hurting? How can I help them? That's the heart of God. Lazarus, God helps. And God helps, so must we. And I just want to say that you, know, you might be here this morning and you feel like Lazarus. You feel like Lazarus. You feel like life is beating you down. You feel like life is just crushing you, that, that nothing's going right for you, that everything is just falling apart and your life just sucks. And I'm here to say, I get it. I get it. But just like Lazarus, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care. That doesn't mean that God has turned a blind eye to you because there's more to your life story that hasn't been written yet. It's not over. Life doesn't always go in a straight path. And if you're feeling like Lazarus this morning, man, hang in there because God loves you more than you know. But the reality is that most of us are more like living in the rich man's shoes. Most of us are living in the rich man's shoes. Nearly all of us have a standard of living higher than 95% of the world's population. That's just the fact of the matter. And we've got to open our eyes to see those in need around us. And we've got to open our hands to help. Now, don't misunderstand me. This, this could feel like condemnation, and it's not meant to feel that way. Because this church is, a, as Sam has talked about, this church is a generous church. This church is a church that helps those in need, absolutely. And I love that about this church. I wouldn't be here if, that wasn't a, if this wasn't a church like that. If this was one of those, you know, self, selfish, only look at myself churches, I wouldn't even be here. But the thing is, is that we're human beings, and we've always, we always have room to grow and develop. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, and, and he loved the church in, in Philippi. He loved this church. And throughout his letter to the, to the Philippians, he says, man, you guys are great. You guys love. You guys support the poor. You guys do all this great stuff. You're a loving church. And yet Paul says to them, right in the first chapter of his letter, he says, this is my prayer, that your love might become even more 
and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. Paul says to the church in Philippians, in, in Philippi, he says, he says, listen, you guys are a great church. You guys love. You guys reach out. You guys, you guys support people. You guys, you guys take care of the poor. You guys are great. And I want to see you do it more. I want to see you grow even more. I want to see you take even more of the blinders off and do more. Because the more, you know, it's one of those cyclical things. The more we love God, the more we'll see and love others. But the more we'll see and love others, we'll see God in them, and our love for God will increase. And it's this feedback cycle that just keeps growing and growing and growing. We've got to constantly be seeking to say, what more can I do? How can I reach out more? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for guiding us this morning as we've looked into it and, and studied it. And God, I thank you that this is a generous church. This is a loving church. This is a church that, that, that looks for opportunities to love and to, and to help those in need. And God, I pray that even so, we will continue to grow and our love will grow more and more as we even open up our vision even more for those in need, for those who are oppressed, for those who need to know you more and to be helped by you. Help us to be your hands extended to those in need because since you help, we must. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.